It's capitalism and entrepreneurship that has risen more people out of poverty, changed billions of lives than any other social program out there. Amen. It's entrepreneurship and capitalism. It's not socialism, all right? And that's the scary thing right now. Right. 33% of people between 18 and 29 have positive views of socialism. And I say, travel the world. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of The Empire Show. My name is Bedros Koulian and this is an inside look. And today you're in for a treat because we've got an amazing guest who I not only look up to because of his business acumen, but also because of the way he manages himself and shows up in this world. His name is Larry Broughton, author of Victory, Seven Revolutionary Strategies for Entrepreneurs founder of the Broughton Hotels, and former Green Beret. Larry, welcome hey, to the show. Hey, brother. How are you? Good to see you again. Thank you. So you and I met yep. at our friend Mike Schneider's Kill House. Very, yes. very fitting, yeah. considering <laughs> the special operations service that you've done yeah. for our country. And yeah. thank you for your service. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Um, and uh, when we met in Boise, Idaho, at uh, Forward Movement Training at Matt Schneider's place, yeah. um, our mutual friend, Troy McLean, McLean mm -hmm. connected us. Yeah, and yeah. that was a special time for me, and I want to kind of start there. Yeah, for those of you listening to the show right now, if you've got a son or daughter, you're going to really want to pay attention to this episode. And uh, Larry's got a lot of value to add here. But at the end of the running and gunning and the kill house stuff that we went through with Troy and Matt, we all formed a circle, and you were part of it, and I believe yeah. your business partner was Dave? Dave, yeah. Was yeah. part of this circle. Yeah. And yeah. there's a 10-minute and four-second audio recording, which, by the way, I'll, I, I need to send that, that, oh, send that to you. Great. And I just had Andrew re-listen to that. Uh -huh. So we all got in a circle, I'm, if, if you remember, and I turned on my phone's audio memo, and we gave my son Andrew, it was about maybe, what, 10 of us? Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. We gave my son Andrew a piece of advice as he turned, went from a boy to a man, or a young man, 13, a piece of advice that we would have wanted at the yeah. age of 13. Do you mm -hmm. remember what that piece of advice was that you gave? What I gave? And if you don't, what, don't what piece of advice would you give a young man right now? <laughs> uh, I don't remember the piece of advice, but I do remember as we were going around the room, I was inspired by everyone. I think it was one of the last couple uh, to go. What... Listen, there are tons of pieces of advice, yeah. and this is why I'm glad I have a 15-year-old son. He hears it over and over again. Um, but uh, there's probably a couple. One is tenacity, you know. So many young kids compare themselves today to everyone else who they think have all this talent. And uh, I tell my son all the time, tenacity eats talent for lunch. Mm. You know, I know a lot of talented people who are just living mediocre lives sure. uh, because they're not tenacious. The going gets tough, and they quit. You know, um, we were talking a little bit earlier about how I, th I think we've coddled our young men um, in, uh, in this country for a while. And I would say, you know, be tenacious, lean into it, surround yourself with uh, brothers uh, who speak reality into your life. Reality is your friend. And um, so I think those are probably a couple of tidbits. Dude, I would, this I would, is almost verbatim what you said on that audio. Oh, is that right? <laughs> is that right? Well, <laughs> Talk so about your consistent. Their themes. Yeah, right? their uh, themes. you are consistent. Yeah. 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 And so that, that to me was a special moment. And I was shocked and I was equally inspired because so many of the men 
And I, you know, I brought together the men that I look up to and that I believe are modern day knights. Mm -hmm. And um, I was so impressed with the message that every single guy delivered to Andrew. And imagine if we had that when we were 13. Well, listen, I think a lot of men are afraid to get authentic, be real, um, and be transparent. And when you build those types of safe, I hate to say safe space or safe environments, yeah. where you know the other fellow men aren't going to be judging you because we've all been there. When we get real and we really say, hey, here's where my demons are, yeah. we've all got this kind of ugliness inside. Um, some people, I think we've been told to quell that, you know, feminize that. But I just believe there are warriors in all of us. And I have been around warriors most of my life. Yeah. I don't know anybody who loves deeper than a warrior, hmm. you know? And so when you can speak that into a young man's life, Andrew's a young man now, um, then I think that that's transformational. And we all need that. And that's why I love masterminds. That's why I love entrepreneurship, because to me, entrepreneurs, leaders, and high achievers, they are our civilian warrior class. That's the way I look at it. There's nothing like... Um, being an entrepreneur, being a leader, being a high achiever, willing to step out in front of everybody else to take those slings and arrows to protect the people, sure. the business that you love. And uh, I think that's why I love entrepreneurship so, entrepreneurship so much, because like being a warrior. So I'm glad that uh, Andrew was exposed to that. Well, you it was know, inspiring for me to watch it, because I said, I have to do this with my son. <laughs> right? Because yeah. I've not done it with him. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I mean, it's no surprise that you went from special operations as a mm -hmm. Green Beret, and you spent eight years mm -hmm. in special operations. Yep. And um, as you said, you said the civilian class of warriors yep. are the entrepreneurs, the, so. the, the leaders. And, and of course, you're an entrepreneur. You've yeah. decided to create a hotel chain. Yeah. Before we go down that path, I do want to ask you, why do you think young men, most men these days, are coddled so much? Why do you think everyone's so bubble-wrapped? Mm -hmm. Great question. Uh, listen, in the special ops community, we have a lot of mantras. Um, and one of the things I remember hearing shortly after I arrived in my team room uh, was this. Um, tough times create tough men. Tough men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create tough times. Mm. It's a vicious oh, cycle, shoot. right? So I think we've gone through a cycle where it's been really easy, right? We haven't needed Warriors. I mean, I think still the greatest generation um, were like my father's age who were in World War II, right? Um, they picked up the pack, they picked up the sword, they picked up the shield and went to battle and came back and built the country, yeah. right? Um, my hope is that the warriors that are coming back today or the, the battles that we've had um, are going to be the next greatest generation. Sure. Um, so I think that we've had some easy times in this country. We've not been invaded, right? Unlike a lot of countries in the world. Sure. We've yeah. had generally great economic times over the last several decades, with the exception of a couple of recessions or depressions that I've been through since I launched my company. Yeah. Um, but we've had easy times. And easy times create easy. weak men. Yeah. Oh, that's such a powerful statement. Yeah. Such a powerful statement. I, I guess it is cyclical. So, I mean, dude, I'm a... I'm a forever optimist. Am I hearing you say that it just seems like there's a hopeless cause? It's just no, going to be cyclical I think, I like this? Think, I don't think it's hopeless. That's the great thing about a cycle, right, is that it comes back around. It will come back around. I think we can learn from our lessons, though. I mean, that's what scares me is that we have a short memory 
in this country. Yeah. Maybe this is human nature. Maybe that's how we survive. I mean, they say that, that women have this way. They have a very painful childbirth, right? But they're willing to do it all over again. We have a way of yeah, numbing the pain or forgetting the pain yeah, that, that yeah. we go through. But we, ha we don't know history. I think that our education system has failed us um, and in a lot of ways. And boy, I could talk for hours uh, on, on that. Um, but I don't think that we know our history well enough. So yeah. no, I, I'm, I am definitely an optimist, um, but I think it comes to personal responsibility. The personal responsibility you hold for creating a young man in Andrew is the same feeling I have with creating a warrior, leader, alpha male son sure. in Ben. His nickname is Bullet. Yeah. I intentionally picked that name and not Cupcake or Twinkle Toes. Right, you know? right, right. Words have meaning yeah. in, in my life. And so um, Bullet is my 15-year-old son, and I speak positively, courageously into his life. I speak the truth into it. And so I think if we do that, um, instead of letting someone else raise our children, then there's, I have a higher level of optimism, I guess. Sure. Yeah. We live in Southern California. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm in Chino Hills. Yeah. You're about 20 miles away right. in Irvine. We're living a blessed life. Yeah. We have a good life, but uh, where we live is not so gun-friendly, and you've but, nicknamed your son uh -huh. Bullet. Yes. Do you ever get any pushback? <laughs> no, no. No? Um, but I'll tell you, he didn't want to be called Bullet around his friends uh, for a while. Now, I mean, I am not uh, ashamed. I have a CCW I carry, um, sure. and there have been people in my life, when they have found that out, they haven't liked it. If you're going to judge me based on that one thing, have a great life, huh. you know? But um, I'll tell you once, so he, he asked me years ago, whatever, he's 15, it was probably, he was probably in first grade, I called him Bullet, and he pulled me aside, don't call me Bullet in front of my friends. But somebody- That was, early on in first grade? The, no that, he heard, that, he, that he asked me to say yeah. that? Yeah. Holy smokes. Um, and so I asked why, all that kind of stuff, so he just didn't, didn't want me to do it. But then I started hearing some of his friends who heard me call him it, and he kind of, piped up, you know, he kind of liked it a, yeah. a little bit. So, so yes, um, he understands now at 15 what it is. It's like calling Tiger or Champ or, yeah. you know? He gets it. Um, he, he gets it now. He gets know? it. Yeah. So I'm curious to know about you and your life. Obviously okay. your, your dad and mom clearly raised a modern day knight um, for you to decide that, hey, this is an all-volunteer <laughs> army that we That's have. Right. Like, I come from a communist, I come from a communist country mm -hmm. where you're, you're forced to go into the military. Mm -hmm. The only reason we escaped is my brother was about to go into yeah. the, the Soviet army, and this was when they were, in 1979, they were fighting um, Afghanistan, yeah. like, like we are now, uh -huh. talking about cyclical, That's right? right. Yep. And so my dad's like, look, you know, Armenia was invaded by the, by the communists. Like, well, I don't want my son to go there fight That's a battle, right. and we yeah. escape because my dad is pro-United States. So here yeah. we are. You chose to go into the military. Yeah. What led to that? Well, listen, I think that like I speak into my son, my father did that to me. However, in a different approach. He spoke through his actions. He was a man of few words. Um, now they call it post-traumatic stress. Back then, they called it combat fatigue. And um, 
he was always patriotic, but he never, I never, I don't even know to this day, he's since passed away. I don't know what political affiliation he was, um, but he, we always had the American flag flying. Mm. He always busted his ass to do, am I allowed to say ass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he busted <laughs> Tim his Grover's ass. been on this show. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. He busted his ass to bring in, uh, f you know, income into our family, put food on the table, but we were what was considered then the working poor. Uh, after my parents passed away, I was going through their tax records and found the most my father ever earned was just over $18,000 a year. No kidding. Uh, five of us kids uh, he, wow. they raised, right? He did what he needed to do, right? So it's not like I went in with a sense of patriotism. It's not that, uh, that I knew of, um, although that certainly flourished once I got in. But I was teaching martial arts back, you know, after I got out of... Uh, out of high school. My twin brother and I got an apartment uh, while we were still seniors in high school. And uh, we got into martial arts and one of our students, a guy named Tim Conley, went down and enlisted in the army. And so now- What, what year was 19, this? So this must have been 1980, uh, late 1982. Okay. So I ended up going into 1983. And um, so Tim said, hey, you ought to go in and enlist in the army. I was looking for an escape to get out of where I was, for a lot of reasons that we can go into later if, if you want to. Um, I needed to get out of this little podunk town uh, where, I, where I was raised. And where was that? A little town called Olean, New York. The town I actually went to school was called Portville, New York. Uh, it's due south of Buffalo. The big city of about 20,000 people was Olean, New York. Gotcha. So I moved to Olean, New York. And um, so I was teaching martial arts, and I thought, well, this is my way to get out of Dodge. And so um, my twin brother and I went to a national martial arts tournament in San Jose up the road uh, from here mm -hmm. in uh, 1982. And I'd heard a rumor that the Army was going to be sponsoring the first uh, America or U.S. Taekwondo team in the 84 Olympics. And so I thought, that's my ticket. Now, keep in mind... <laughs> I didn't even study Taekwondo. I studied a style called Wu Yan Jing, which is very similar to Taekwondo. However, I went down to the Army recruiter's office and said, went into this full-on pitch on why I needed to be on the Army Taekwondo team to this E6 Staff Sergeant recruiter. And after a couple of minutes, his eyes were huge, and he just finally put his hand up and said, son, you know, if you want to be on the Army Taekwondo team, you need to be in the Army. I thought they just sponsored the thing. Oh, those dots never connected <laughs> those for you. Those dots didn't connect. Gotcha. I barely graduated high school, by the way. Um, <laughs> we have a lot of comments. <laughs> like literally, like right near the bottom of my class. It yeah. turns out I'm dyslexic, and I didn't know that oh. at the time. And so he did convince me to take the ASVAB, which is the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. It's basically an IQ and aptitude, aptitude test. So he convinced me to take it. A couple days later, he calls and says, hey, come on down and talk. I want to talk to you about this. And I walk in and he says, listen, dude, uh, you scored in the top one-tenth of one percentile in the country. You can basically do whatever you want in the Army. I got to stop you here, Larry. How does that even happen, considering yeah. how poorly you did throughout school? Yeah. So when I was in high school, um, when I would take SATs, I would literally just fill in bubbles to make designs. Oh, I didn't even shit. read the questions. Because I couldn't read. I could barely read. Sure. Now I'm an author. Yeah, the, the irony, over, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Best so there, there, there's something, yeah, best selling <laughs> author, uh, number one best selling, but, but who's counting? Um, but anyway, um, so the great thing about this was the way the, the army, the military is really good at identifying what your strengths are. And this is one of the things I took away from this. So it's a, not just an IQ test, but it's an aptitude test, right? 
our education system is not designed to pull out aptitude. Mm. Our current education system was created for the industrial age. Create automatons, create people who don't think, create people who just follow the rules. Yeah. That's not how I'm built, right? So the military understood this. And so I, I, I took this thing and, and he said, you scored in the top one-tenth of 1%. One and I said, are you sure? And he said, I know, I saw your high school transcripts too. I can't believe it, but you did. And so he said, you could basically pick what you want to do. And he said, you could even try out for special forces. And just the way he said it, I thought, wow, uh, I could even try out for special forces? What special forces? I didn't know. Right. And so he told me what the Green Berets were, and I said, yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah, for so, those of us who are civilians, how does one become a Green Beret? Like, what is the, you, you go in as, you go into boot camp, into the Army, yeah. and then where do you go from there? So back then, you used to have to be promotable to sergeant. So you'd have to be a corporal or a specialist, an E4 promotable to. Um, now you can actually enlist for it, but I guess I got some deviations of policy between my, my scores, between uh, my martial arts background. And so, um, yes, I went to basic training and my advanced individual training. And then I, you had to, so I had to do well there. Then I had to go through jump school, um, which is parachuting yeah. school, airborne ranger, I mean, airborne school. Um, and then I went to a, what's called the selection and assessment phase now, which the, the Navy SEAL version is called Hell Week. Selection and assessment is three weeks to get into, to even, you have to make it, you have to try out to even try out for special forces. Gotcha. Right? And then you go through um, th three major phases. One is called the survival phase, um, which is about a month long. We learn uh, basic land navigation, fire building, survival stuff. Really, it's a phase to weed people out. It's, and it's really much more mental than physical. But you do lose a lot of weight. It is very physical. And then the next is a much more uh, expert phase based on what your MOS, your military occupational specialty, is going to be. And the final is called the Robin Sage uh, phase, where you learn a lot about unconventional warfare and what's going on in the world. Gotcha. Um, and so it's a long process. Um, but I scored right near the top of my class here uh, going through, and I was assigned to 10th Special Forces Group, which was the first Special Forces Group ever. Um, they're called the Originals. And got there, and day one I was assigned to a Special Forces A team. Huh. And from there I just traveled and did some great stuff and had sure. fun and learned about camaraderie and building teams with strengths and um, sense of vision and mission and stuff that makes it into books nowadays. <laughs> now, obviously, having, having met you and, and having studied you, I... Uh, oh, studied I, me. Yeah, uh -oh, yeah, yeah. Uh -oh. yeah I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I've been trolling you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you like some of my Instagram stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. All. I very quickly picked up that you're a very effective leader. Yeah. Is leadership factory installed for you, or was this a skill set to learn? No, it's, I, th I think that's a common misconception. I do think that some leaders are... Uh, born. I think that I believe in some crazy stuff. So I do believe that we're in, in, imbued with a spirit when we're born and some of those who knows where they came from before. But I think that leadership, most leadership skills are learned yeah. and they come from experience, bad mistakes, mentorship, all kinds of things. Sure. Right. Uh, I think to be an effective transformational leader, you need to be a master storyteller and you've got to really understand human behavior. And you've got to be able to look for subtle clues, like why are, not, why are people not performing? 
Um, but even more than that, I think that we need to be awesome cheerleaders and have the ability to see potential in people that they don't see in themselves. When you can identify potential in someone and you say it out loud and you say, I believe in you, you're better than this, you can do this, most people have never had a father, a leader, sure. speak that into them. And as I think what we were trying to do with your son yep. that day, um, you feel yourself get bigger. Boy, if that person believes in me, I think I've got the goods. And so I think that effective leaders do that more and more. Gotcha. You have to be doing it. But yeah, I think that um, leaders are made as much as they're being born. Now, did you leave the Army and Special Forces and go right into, hey, I think I'm going to open up a hotel? No. Well, here's what happened. How do you even get into hotels from that, there? That's the funny question, right? That's the million-dollar question. So I remember being overseas a couple of times and thinking, dang, if these knuckleheads can run a country, I can run a country. How hard can it be? Sure. And that's kind of like the same mentality in entrepreneurship, isn't it? Right. <laughs> How hard can it be? Right. That's easy. <laughs> right? And so I decided after the second time this popping into my brain, well, maybe I need to get out and get into the political arena. Maybe I need to go to college because clearly I'm smarter than I thought I was. I'm doing really well here. I've since learned how to read. I've learned a new language. You know, like for a while there I spoke Russian. I went to the Defense Language Institute. No kidding. Americans learning Russian is not an easy right. task, right? Um, and so I had more confidence about my intellect at this point. I'd realized I have a really high IQ. So it was just a learning process. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go to college, study political science, go into the State Department, run for political office. Who knows? But be in the arena, as Teddy Roosevelt talks about. You know, be willing to, willing to get, be bloodied uh, from time to time. And um, so I moved to San Francisco, had some friends uh, who had, were, were living there started going to school. My first job out of the military was as a night auditor at a little no-tell motel in San Francisco. For your little um, naive viewers, a no-tell motel is a pay-by-the-hour. Uh-huh. Got it. Kind of wink, <laughs> and, um What but, does a night auditor do? How many one-hour well, sessions we sold? Well, yes, yes. My job was to keep the books. <laughs> My job was to keep the books, collect the cash. But really, primary job number two was to keep the peace among the drug dealers and the pimps and the prostitutes. Um, and those weren't just the people in the neighborhood, those were my coworkers. Gotcha. Literally. Special operations uh, experience I bigger, comes in handy. I was much bigger and more intimidating back then, and so that did come in handy. I was, I wouldn't say fearless, but I had a lot more courage than most, most people, sure. right? And, so I and the younger we are, the more courage we have. Yeah, exactly. Part yeah, of it is exactly. too. Right, yeah. well, yes. Um, but I made a whopping five bucks an hour and was going to school during, the time, you know, sure. during that time with the intention of studying political science. Well, what I realized, I was working on different political campaigns on both sides of the aisle, because I didn't really know where I fit. Um, and as it turns out, I don't fit in either what do you know? major party, as it turns out. Um, but after being there for a few months, an investment group came in and bought this hotel with the intention of turning it around and turning it into this rock and roll hotel instead of this dive motel, yeah. turn it into upscale place that catered towards Red Hot Chili Peppers and Rolling Stones and Linda Ronstadt and all those types back wow. then, right? And um, what I realized after that was, wow, there's really something to this. There's marketing, there's branding, there's team building, there's real estate, there's finance, there's all these things that keep me interested, right? Well, then Desert Storm broke out and so I went back on active duty for a couple of years, for about a year, 
came back and went to speak to the guy who, uh, the managing member who owned this hotel. And at this point, he had his third hotel he was putting in. My buddy and I, we went out and bought a Winnebago, and we were just going to move to Mexico and live on the beaches. Why not? For a couple of years. Bought uh, two uh, four-wheelers, and we were just going to rent those out on the beach. And so I went to him and said, listen, I'm seeing a couple of years, going to Mexico. And he said, don't go. (laughs) If you come back and work with me, then uh, I'll make you a partner in the company, and we'll grow this darn thing. And I said, all right, give me 24 hours to think about it. And this was in the mid-90s now, right? Bit, yeah, yeah. And uh, this is early 90s. Yeah, 90, 90 after uh, Desert Storm. So what, yeah. 92, yeah. 93? And, um, and so I thought about it overnight and said, I still don't have a college degree. This is, gonna, this is the best experience I could ever get. This is baptism by fire in the entrepreneurial space. And so I did. And over about a 14-year period, we picked up 14 hotels. And... Um, and that's how, kind of how I got into the hotel industry. But I realized after being there for a while that I just wasn't content. You know, and that, and that sucked. That's that sucked my lifeblood. Really? Okay. And that, I'm guessing the pivot comes from there. Yeah. And uh, what you shared there is something interesting. Who was the gentleman that said, "Don't go," and instead come work with me, and I'll turn you into a partner? What's his name? Chip. Chip Conley. So Chip Conley, interestingly, um, echoed what my friend Cameron Harold says all the time. Cameron Harold is the former COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Yeah. And now he coaches and consults the, everybody's, well, seconds in command. So Bryce, who you met, who's yeah. the VP of my company, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cameron coach and consults him. And Cameron says, when you find the A-level players, yeah. find a way to handcuff them right. to your business. That's right. And do you, do you feel that Chip was doing oh my this, gosh. handcuffing absolutely. you to his business? Yeah, absolutely. And, and he meant good by it, and I think it tapped into my feelings of inadequacy, um, my inferiority complex. Really? Yeah, because I felt like, oh my gosh, here's something. Like on my good days back then, I would think I can take on the world. On my worst days, which I still have from time to time, I think, who am I to think that I can do this, right? The struggle is real sure. every single day. And a mentor once told me that, you're an, egoma- you're an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. Think about that. Yeah. You have somebody tell you that out of love, by, by the way. Sure. Because, I mean, to be in the entrepreneurial space, you've got to believe that you can do it when everyone else around you is telling you you can't. Yeah. That takes a sense of egomaniaism, mm-hmm. right? And then the inferiority complex is like, I know you a little bit. Like, we're always looking over our shoulder. Like, somebody's behind yeah. me. Yeah. And if I don't keep up, you know, um, or there's a sense of paranoia about it, right? That's it. We're messed up. We're we're messed up. I always say that I I wake up every morning and I go, there's someone sitting in a basement somewhere with a giant marker board that says, how can I take over Fit Body Bootcamp? Yes, yes. And I walk into the day with thinking that someone's trying to crush me and dominate our brand. That's absolutely right. Every day, and I feel the same way. But um, it was an opportunity in disguise because um, I learned a bunch about leadership uh, while I was there, but it got to be the late 90s and it was just eating my soul. It was just eating me up because what I realized then, I finally had an epiphany. I went out and I got a mentor. I did what's called a life chart. And what we measured was, we talked about what's every success that you had in your life? And then we plot out what's every failure you've had in your life? And guess what? Every time I had a failure, I had a success that was bigger. Right, so I just I kept leapfrogging. Yeah. Failure, bigger success. Failure, bigger success. And so I had this epiphany um, that I was what I call a primary leader stuck in a secondary leadership role. 
I was never going to be CEO of that company. I was never going to be the primary leader, and it ate me up. Hmm. And so I had to take a leap of faith, and back then I was married, and I went to my father-in-law, who I still have a good relationship with, um, I'm since divorced, went to a lot of other people I uh, trusted and said, hey, I'm thinking about leaving this. Hmm. And everyone, everyone without exception said, are you crazy? You're the number two guy in the number two hotel company in the number one market in the world. And you're going to leave that? You're making all this money? It's safe. Why would you do that? And I said, well, you don't see my insides. I'm dying. I'm dying here. And so I talked to my wife at the time and left and started my own gig. So what happens? What happens when the people around us mean well? Like, obviously, you said you went to people that you trusted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're like, hey. And you went there, obviously, seeking some kind of counsel or advice. Yes. It wasn't yes. just a matter of fact. Hey, guess what I'm going to do? No, I was it seeking was, counsel. You were seeking counsel. And every single person, without exception, said, Larry, you're nuts. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Even in the face of that. First of all, why do you think the people closest to us do that? Because they love us and they don't want us hurt. I hear it over, basically it's like, don't go in the deep waters, stay out of the forest. Yeah. Oh, it's, there's dragons out there past the horizon. When you're a warrior, that's what turns me on. Yeah. Bring it on. That's what I want. Yeah. Well, one of your fellow warriors who stood right there, uh, my dear friend Jason Redman, a uh, Purple Heart recipient, uh, Navy SEAL, said, uh, as warriors, you guys want to go and slap the dragon yeah. to see what you're made of. <laughs> I love that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's yeah. so. Even in the face of all that counsel and advice, you're like, "Eff it, I'm got, doing this." Got to trust my gut. And yeah. So you, you you pull the ripcord. You give your two week notice, I imagine, or whatever. Well, no, it, is. it was more like a six month notice. Sure, I guess you had such a critical role. Yeah, here to give yeah. a two week notice would yeah. suck. Yeah. So we hired a couple people and replaced them. I kept my my uh, position as partner in the company for several years after that, yeah. and um, kept my equity position in a couple of the hotels um, that that I had had and launched out to start this. Now, moved to Santa Barbara first, bought a couple of coffee shops, bought a restaurant, um, and then um, had some of my former investors come to me and say, hey, we're really disappointed you left your former company. If you ever want to do a hotel again, we'd be glad to invest with you. Huh. There's a story there, right? When you pursue excellence in everything you do, yeah. people are watching. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you do things so well, you don't need, I call it setting out the honeypot. When you are the honeypot, when you are so, yeah. do pursue excellence and everything, people will come to you. Yeah. But mediocrity is so safe, right? Yeah. And people can't figure out, like, why do I have to go out and ask for money all the time? Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so I uh, put my first hotel on escrow in um, November of 2000, closed escrow January of 2001. I don't know if you remember 2001, for your viewers who Holy don't. Holy smokes. Yeah. Just a few months later. Well, dot-com bomb, national yeah. and global recession. Most people aren't going to remember this, but SARS, which is the avian flu. Yeah. Well, why is that important? Well, because a third of the uh, travelers to San Francisco at the time, where all of my investments were coming from, all my distributions, were from Asia. And so that business is dried up. Yeah, they were being quarantined. That's right. I remember that. That's right. Um, and so we lost about 45% value in all of our hotels Holy up in San Francisco smokes. at the time. And so I went from getting distribution checks to actually having to write capital call checks to fund mortgages and payroll. Got to the point where I had about $84 in the bank. Um, sold our place, moved into a townhouse. Um, my wife was pregnant at the time. 
ultimately near the end of that year, I had a several month old baby and 9-11 um, happens. And, um, and that was just kind of the kiss of death. Um, we had just opened up two hotels the week before and um, things were not going well. It was really, really bad and I was acting out in really bad ways. And um, finally in early December, when I couldn't make payroll, um, I was putting things on credit cards, not telling my wife how bad the financial condition was. Um, she left. She wow. took my daughter and left for a few days. December of 2001. Yeah, and yeah. she said, when you get your shit together, call me. You're better than this. And so um, it was one of those moments where I pulled out life insurance policies and realized I was worth more dead than alive. And you can read into, into that. Yeah. I was on the edge, I was on the edge. And something pulled me back, and I know what it is, but something pulled me back, and finally I said, um, holy shit, Larry, you're starting to believe your own press. You know, you're not that good. You know, you mm. need wise counsel around you. It was the first time in my life in several years I didn't have a mentor, I wasn't in a mastermind. I felt like, oh, I can do this. I don't need all these other people. How old were you then? Well, it was 2001. I'm 57 now, so whatever the math is. I'm horrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll get my calculator while you. Yeah. Think. So it was 17 years ago. I was 40. Dude, 40. 40. Check this out. I figured out. So I had. I wrote my book, Man Up, at the. Which is a great book, by the way. Thank you so much. At the age of 37. Yeah. I had an anxiety attack so big, I thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah. For the next year and a half, I had massive anxiety attacks. Then another friend of mine started having anxiety attacks as he turned 38. And another friend of mine, as he started to turn 36, 37, he started getting these issues. Yeah. Between 37 and 40, 41, entrepreneurs go through this, almost this trial by fire. Yeah. It's almost this acid test. Is, are you going to make it, That's eat right. a bullet, or go back to being a civilian That's employee? Right. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I really want to just pause on this moment for a second because... Dude, you were taking on massive debt. Yeah. Dot com bubble, SARS. No one's writing you checks anymore. No. Your banks aren't returning calls except to say, right. buck up. Yeah, you yeah. owe us. Wife's leaving. Like, this is what happens. Entrepreneurs suffer in silence. And I want to talk about this, Larry, because on social media, it's so easy to go and hit that little drop down menu that says, Instagram, I'm an entrepreneur, yeah. and start. Yeah. Flashing as though you're an entrepreneur, but this is what an entrepreneur goes through. Yeah. And whether it's a hotel or it's franchising, it's a media company, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Folks, this is what you're in for yeah. if you plan on being an entrepreneur. The dragon will come, the bear will come, it will breathe fire, it That's will right. slash at you. Right. You just yeah. don't know when, but I figured right. it's right in that stage of yeah. 37 to 42. I've, I've I noticed. think for a lot of us it is. I think, and particularly men, yeah. um, because we do suffer in silence, I think, more than, than women do. Sure. Um, but it is a yeah. It is, you must have a warrior mentality if you're going to survive in the entrepreneurial arena. Uh, this is why mental toughness is so critical for. Well, I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I've been doing uh, running masterminds and coaching people for well over a decade, and we spend more time on this part of it, on the mental toughness part, um, on proper communication, um, on self care, as we do on reading balance sheets and putting together exit strategies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was a, it was a tough time. Um, but, um, I realized I, my best efforts got me there on my knees, on my bedroom floor in tears. 
if this is the best I got, I got to do something different. Mm. Um, and so back then we had Rolodexes. And so I went through my Rolodex and just started calling people and saying, listen, I am embarrassed to even say this, but I am so in the weeds. I don't even know what to do. Can you help? You know? And what kind of help were you seeking? Financial? Anything, counsel? Anything. Just hear me out. Anything. Anything. Um, and so my fear was this. If people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. If they knew that I was failing, they'd kick me to the curb. That's what sure. I was feeling. But then I had a, a mentor when I was telling this story several years ago. He said, well, listen, if someone came to you and did that, would you kick them to the curb? I said, well, of course not. I'd help them however I could. He said, why do you think you're so much better than anybody else then? He's like, oh, yeah, mm. <laughs> great point, right? So people started saying, let me see what I can do. And some people said, listen, I wish I could help, but I'm in the same position you're in. But ultimately, um, a, a guy named Jay Scott, who I should thank, um, was, at the time was one of the top hotel consultants in the country, who I'd worked with in San Francisco, said, um, as a matter of fact, I have a hotel client in Mexico who has two hotels down there. And um, if you're interested, I could put you in touch with him. He was looking for somebody to come down and operate these hotels. And I said, Jay, listen, I don't know a thing about operating hotels in Mexico. I'd have to hire a team um, that I don't have. And he says, just give us your numbers and let's see what we can do. And so I put together some rough numbers, got on a flight. I had to borrow money to catch a, catch a flight from John Wayne Airport, <laughs> Airport in, uh, in Orange County to fly to San Francisco um, and went and met with a client. And... I was smart. I brought an agreement that day, and after meeting with him, I slid the agreement across the table. We didn't negotiate one thing. He signed it, and all of a sudden, it wasn't big money, but all of a sudden, I was able to start bringing home about 6000 bucks a month. It was hope. It was hope. This yeah. is what keeps us all from eating a bullet, folks. That's right. Hope. That's right. That's, right. That's, 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 that's absolutely right. And so that gave me a little bit of breathing room. And um, so... Um, I started bringing in experts into the, into the company, sort of surrounding myself with people who were bolder and brighter than I was. Sure. And so then we got a reputation. Oh, by the way, so we had a couple of good successes. Those two, those two hotels that we opened up um, right before 9-11, they ended up taking off and hit 100% market penetration within the first year, which typically, you know, to get a business to stabilize is right. at least three years, yeah. right? We did it under a year, plus these other hotels in Mexico, and all of a sudden, um, people were talking about us as turnaround artists. And, um, but the key to all of this was I reached out, I asked for help. I got into a mastermind group. I was meeting every month. Being These held accountable. Being held accountable. These guys kicked my butt month after month, right? And there were months like where I'd say, oh, I don't want to even face these guys again. And as soon as I got there, I knew this is exactly where I need to be today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how often do we have that? We're going to go with our mastermind. Oh, I've got other things to do. I could be making sales calls or I could, yeah. whatever the excuse is, right? So anyway, um, so that was about uh, 16 or 17 years ago, and it's been up and down since. We just got through another great depression, and that was a tough time as well. But anyway, it's been a Let me ask challenges. you something. Sure. What, uh, what pulled you back? You know, the, the, the wife was gone, took your daughter. Mm-hmm. You're in massive debt. Mm -hmm. You realize after you look at your life insurance that I'm worth more dead yeah. than alive. Yeah. You said something brought me back, pulled me back from. Yeah. Um, I don't know how um, airy fairy we want to get on this, but. Zayer fairy mem as you want. Memories of my 
daughter, like I could see the movie playing of missed graduations. I'm yeah. gonna get emotional here. Um, you know, getting married, her having children, that kind of thing. Knowing that I'd really be let, really be letting down my wife. Um, and um, so I was going through that. And then I started hearing this loud surrender. Somebody was yelling surrender. Okay. Now I thought it was a neighbor or something else at first. And then it caught my attention and it was in my head. I was hearing surrender in my head. Now keep this in mind. This is a former black belt, former Green Beret hearing surrender. That doesn't compute with a kid, you know? And so I fought it, you know? I'm not surrendering. Fuck you. Get out of my head. And it started getting softer and softer and softer. But as the, you know, the first few times I heard it, the more I heard it, the more relaxed I became. The first couple of times I fought against it, yeah. you know? But the more I heard it, I started to relax a little bit. And the softer it got, then I started to panic. I want that safety back. Mm. And then it hit me, Vedras, if you're across the room and I have to get your attention, I have to yell. But if I'm close to you, embracing you, I can whisper. Whisper. To me, that was the universe, that was God whispering in my ear, I got you. I got you. Your best efforts got you here. So what? Surrender. And when I realized since then, the oh, whole man. surrender of asking for help, pretending that you don't have, you know, I don't have to pretend I've got it all together. There's power in that, but it takes courage. Yeah. Courage changes everything. When you have the courage to ask for help, you have the courage to step into the leadership gap, everything changes. How often have we fallen short of our own expectations in life because we lacked courage? Huge. So I'm going to bring this full circle for a moment, Larry, because you, you have two books out. Mm-hmm. You're a mentor to entrepreneurs, high achievers, and leaders, mm-hmm. special forces. Now, of course, your chain of hotels, mm-hmm. boutique hotels. And I dare say you're just getting started. Yes. Like I, I, I mean, I see, I, I see you on the yeah. news. I, yeah. I, you're just getting started. Yeah. 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 It doesn't, doesn't take someone much time to realize that you're just getting started. Yeah. What drives you? I, um, it depends on the day, but usually it's just making a difference in the world. Um, there's really two things. Um, I always ask myself and I ask other people, if you were to get hit by a bus today and you didn't have your ID with you, how are people going to know who you are? To me, it's like, what's in your pocket? Mm. What, what's in your pocket? Like, I walk around with my hands in my pocket all the time, and I can tell you, I, sure enough, I do. In this pocket every day, here's what I've got in my pocket. Three things. <laughs> Listerine breast strips. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my special forces coin. Sure. To remind me of my heritage. Where did I come from? Yeah. Right? And then I have a little pewter globe that reminds me of the legacy that I want to leave. And my legacy that I want to leave is making a global impact on the world through entrepreneurship and leadership. Wow. And because I believe, as you'll see here in chapter nine of this book, it's capitalism and entrepreneurship that has risen more people out of poverty, changed billions of lives than any other social program out there. Amen. It's entrepreneurship and capitalism. It's not socialism, all right? And that's the scary thing right now. Right. 33% of people between 18 and 29 have positive views of socialism. And I say, travel the world. I've been to about 40-some different countries now. Um, Capitalism is not perfect. Entrepreneurship is not perfect. It is hard, but it's the best system out there. 
Amen. Nothing has risen more people out of poverty than that. You know, I, I think these numbers are right. Since 1970, um, the amount of people living below the poverty line, which is the equivalent of a dollar or less a day, has been lowered by 80% due to capitalism, wow. free market, and entrepreneurship. That's huge. So that's my mission in life, to touch people through entrepreneurship and leadership. The government's not going to save our bacon. The university system is not going to save our bacon. It's entrepreneurship. Speaking of university system, uh, yesterday I put up a post. Someone sent me a private message and said, hey, Bedros, um, that I shoot you a message and say, what do you think about going to college? And I said, it's archaic. It's a waste <laughs> of time. Yeah. Uh, don't bother unless you're going to get a specialty education, like specialty, a, yes. a doctor, lawyer, architect, whatever. Totally agree. Are you on the same page with that? Totally agree. I don't care if my kids go to college. Now, my daughter, she is going to be going to college next year, but up until about six months ago, we didn't think she was going to go to college. Listen, I know that my kids, just by being around me, have an entrepreneurial spirit. They see what that warrior mentality is. I know that they're going to be leaders, and no matter what they do, they've both been in, in their leadership teams at school, like my daughter, who's a senior. For the last eight years, has been on the leadership team at the school. My son, who's in eighth grade, been on it for four years, is already going to be on the leadership team at, at its high school. Mm. Um, so I, that, people are begging for leaders. We have this leadership gap. So, and I can help them in, in that area. Um, I think the entrepreneurship's the way to go. We, we, we're in this relationship economy. Um, we don't have to go in and, uh, God bless his soul, my father was a machine operator for most of his life after he got out of, uh, out of uh, the Marine Corps in World War II. And all day long, he just worked at a press doing this. You know, and a stamp would come down and cut the metal and it'd go and do it again. That's death that is. to me. That is. You know? No different it's, than prison. No, no different than prison. Right? Well, they do a lot of this stuff in prisons right. nowadays, right? So I do think, though, that there are some schools that are mixing it up a little bit. They are teaching entrepreneurship at a lot of the universities, but I agree with you. That, listen, high paid jobs in the future are gonna be in the trades, right? And if there's a, uh, a trade that needs to be done, there's a business that needs to support that trade. Right. So whether you are, I don't call them employees in our company, we call them team members, because I believe- That's that what words, we call them here. <laughs> right. I believe that words have meaning, right? right. And so, um, if there is a business, there will be team members supporting that. I should just say, the reason we call them team members is that if, if I call them employees, they're going to show up like employees. The payday boss, right? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Thank God it's Friday. If I call them team members, I expect them to act like team members, which means that we're all in this together, right? We don't call the people who pay our bills, who we do transactions with. We don't call them customers. Customers are transactional. We call them clients. Right? Because clients don't, are under your protection. They're under our protection, and it's a relationship, yep. right? The people that check our guests in at our hotels, we don't call them clerks. We don't call them agents. I don't want to be clerked or agented. We call them host. Why? Because I want, I want to be hosted. Sure. We don't call the people that work behind the scenes, we don't call them the back of the house. We call it the heart of the house. Words have meaning. That is and I think that when you build a culture around that, and that's good for all of our listeners to, to, to do, right? Like, go through and just think. If you're called this day in, day out, how, do you, how would you feel? Is there a little spin you can put on it? You know, just the change. Words the have meaning. Words have meaning. So, anyway, mm. yeah, the education system, I think, is, for the most part, flawed. 
given where we are in today's economy. Should everyone pursue entrepreneurship? No. Is it for everyone? No. It How will does someone eat you alive. How does someone know if it's for them or not? Try because it. look, man, Gary Vee, you, Andy Priscilla, Ed Milet, everyone's an entrepreneur. They're living the life, man. No, not. no, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there. They want the lifestyle, but they mm. don't want the work. If you like getting So what is the test up, I take to realize if I should be an entrepreneur or not, says the young man or yeah, woman watching Yeah, this. I don't know if there's a test, I think, except to try it. I think that's a great thing about online businesses nowadays. You can start small. Yeah, I'm a big believer, well. start small, dream big, move fast, right? And so you can start small. Like, I knew that I had the bug at a young age, as I reflect back. I was the kid that would buy the pack of gum for whatever it was, break it up and sell the sticks of gum for more than the combined cost of the pack sure. of gum. I didn't know that that was entrepreneurship back then, but that's what it was, yeah. right? Um, so you just try it, I think. Is there a test? Listen, I'm a big believer in the Colby A index, K-O-L-B-E-A index, and it measures you on four different modes from a cognitive perspective, not cognitive, but the cognitive brain. How do you reflexively reply to stimuli? Are you a high fact finder? Are you a follow through systems person? Are you a risk taker? I'm a very high risk taker. You know, are you a, what they call an implementer? How do you deal with things spatially? That's important. I believe in taking the Gallup strength finders test mm -hmm. to identify what your strengths are. Because if you don't know what your strengths are, the truth is entrepreneurs don't survive by themselves. The lone wolf myth of entrepreneurship is just that. It's a great romance novel. It's a great movie but it's not reality in the entrepreneurship True space. Enough. And so if you know what your strengths are, and you only focus on your strengths, Pedros, but you build a team around you whose strengths augment your weaknesses, then everyone, when they're performing in their strengths, morale is up, productivity is up. That's why Special Forces A-teams are arguably the most elite units out there, because we all work in our strengths. On a Special Forces A-teams, there's 12 guys. Yeah. You're in business. If you're to put 12 type A, hard charging, alpha males, highly intelligent guys in one room, what do you usually get? Pandemonium and fistfights, sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, because the ego does tend to take over and so does the alpha mindset. That's right. And so what do you have to do? You have to make sure that people are working in their strengths and not only do I understand my strengths, but I understand everyone else's strengths around me. We're not competing against each other, but it's collaborative success. And they are all subscribed to the same mission. Yeah. And when you can get those people to, to subscribe to the mission, subordinate their own agenda to the success of the mission, that's where the beauty comes in, right? I've got a friend named Rob Schaefer, um, who's former Green Beret as well, who said to me the other day, he said, you know, you've heard the saying, it's like herding cats. He said, you know, when you're dealing with Green Berets, it's like herding lions, Ooh, right? Good way to put it. Yeah. Did you ever see a pack of lions or a pride of lions hunt? When they're successful, it's like poetry in motion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Do you have that warrior spirit in you? Now, that doesn't mean just because it's never been tested before that it's not there. So I say dream big, but start small. Just start small. You can start a business just buying products and selling them on Amazon or eBay or whatever it is. Right. Do you have the goods? You know, and you learn that way. You learn about supply chain and accounts payable and balance sheets and all those kind of things. But if you the really stuff that people don't Instagram about, yeah, the stuff that <laughs> which yeah, is the, the things the non, that run our businesses, the yeah. non-sexy stuff. Yeah. yeah, I would just say beware of those guys that when you see them in their car with their watch, you know, showing stacks of money in the car, those aren't your mentors.
Those are not your mentors. It's got to be people, I think, like you and me, who speak the truth, who speak honestly, who say, this is going to be a grind. This is going to be the hardest thing that you're ever going to do, right? Yep. Yep. But man, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've got a buddy of mine, Larry Yatch, who used to be, and you can Google him, uh, former Navy SEAL. Larry Yatch um, was in this mastermind that I did with a bunch of military entrepreneurs uh, probably eight years ago. And we do this thing called hot seats, where we bring everybody up and they get to share their biggest challenge, opportunity, or idea. And then we brainstorm that challenge, opportunity, or idea to help them get a breakthrough. And so Larry comes up to the front of the room, and everybody knew Larry's story. And so he says, listen, before I give you my biggest challenge, opportunity, or idea, I want to share with you the scariest, most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And everybody did what you just did. This is a Navy SEAL going to tell us a killer story. Right, that's what I was thinking. He said, the scariest, most difficult thing I've ever done was to start and run my own business. Yeah. Listen, if you got Navy SEALs and Green Berets and Bedros Koolian say, this is the scariest, most difficult thing I've ever done in my life, believe it. It is. But you have to surround yourself with people who are bolder and brighter than yours. This is one of the things I love about you. Not only are you an amazing business person who's growing your business by leaps and bounds, we have over 800 probably 800, franchises yeah. at, yeah. The, at this point. Um, you're creating warriors and entrepreneurs by running masterminds for these people, helping them becoming better versions of themselves, not yep. just people, but better business people. The entrepreneurial muscle doesn't get stronger by just letting it atrophy. You've got to stretch it. Yeah. You've got to work it. Well said. Well, so, you know, it's funny, we have our Fit Body Bootcamp University once yeah. a quarter for new franchisees who come on yeah. board. And the very first thing I say during this, this four-day intensive training, because they want to know, how do I run, run my Fit Body Bootcamp gym, yeah. right? Yeah. And I say, surprise, folks, we fooled you. <laughs> you just joined a personal development organization awesome. wrapped as a fitness franchise. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're throwing them back. And I said, listen, the more I can help you build your, your emotional and mental toughness muscles, your entrepreneurial muscles will grow as a byproduct. And that's so true. The way I look at it is, if I grow my muscles, my tendons get stronger, right. my bones get more minerally dense. That's right. If I can get mentally tough, as an entrepreneur, I can take more risks, right. move faster, become more decisive, right. therefore build those muscles as that's well. Right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. I have a similar saying that I tell people all the time, if you want to do great things, you've got to be a great person. Mm. I know a lot of quasi-successful entrepreneurs who grind down their team members, they're jerks, they lack integrity, right? But they're not building legacy, right? When you become a great person, great things happen, right? And so I love that you're developing your, your, your team members. And another thing that I try to convince people to do that are kind of on this entrepreneurial journey, and it's kind of counterintuitive to the, uh, the personal guru and development space, is I say, whatever you do, stop seeking success. Stop mm. seeking success. If you pursue success for the sake of success, it will leave you empty, it will leave you hollow, and it will drive your life right off a cliff. Instead, what I want people to do is to seek a life of significance. Serve your community. Serve your family. Serve your team members. Live a life of significance in your place of worship, if that's your bag. Um, but Is that your bag? I'm curious. Uh, place like worship. Yeah. I, I would say that, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a little bit uh, odd duck. I would say that I'm a Christian, but I don't, I, I'm more of a Jesus follower, I, I, I would think. Gotcha. I like the rebel, the revolutionary. Sure. Uh, I'm, I don't, anyway. So I, I do believe that 
Um, when you live a life of, success, of significance, success is the byproduct. Success is the byproduct of living a life of significance. And so, but we get it all flipped around. We want this shortcut. What's the quickest way to the cash kind of thing? Yeah, well, it's because most people think that once I have success, success as in money, I solve my money problems, somehow all these other empty cups of significance and self-image and confidence will fill up. You just end up being a person with money who still has low self-image, poor confidence, and still can't make eye contact. I, I will tell you this. Way. When this last downturn happened, I was at a leadership conference, conference in Monterey, and there were about 120 CEOs in there. And remember, what was that, uh, whatever the, the day that the, the market crashed? Yeah. And um, I personally know within the month after that, six guys who took their own life, and they were all much wealthier than I was. I mm. was one of the smallest businesses in that room that day. That's a lot of money, a lot of money. I know people today who have taken their own lives or they've OD'd or they've got dependency issues um, because they've got the money, but they don't have the rest of this stuff yeah. dealt with, right. you know? Um, thank goodness, I mean, in a weird, sick kind of way, like I am divorced now. Um, um, it's been whatever, 14 years, I think, since we separated, going on 15 years. And in a sick way, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. How so? It forced me to scrape along bottom. So, by the way, after 2001, my uh, spouse, my former spouse, did come back. We, you know, reconciled and we had another child. And um, But, honestly, I never, I don't think I've ever told her this, I never forgave her for leaving. When I was at my deepest, darkest hour. How come? She left. How come I never? Because she wasn't there to support you yeah. and see you through it? Yeah. yeah. L looking back. And so I had all this resentment build up. And so in my mind, I was like, when the next downturn happens, she's going to leave again. That was the story I was sure, telling myself. Sure, sure, sure. She didn't stick with me. She's proven she can't handle it. So and you're so, constantly on edge waiting for the next downturn because now i got to deal with the downturn and she's going to leave. That's right. That's right. And so what did I do? I self-sabotaged. Mm. When I could see the downturn coming... I started withdrawing. I was just getting ready. Yeah. I was just getting ready. And instead of doing this, I was doing this, putting my fist up. Yeah. Right. And so it took that for her to leave for me to, and for us to ultimately break up for me to have a wake up call. Like, dude, you need to get healthy, like really healthy. And so I went into my executive team uh, the day after uh, we had decided that this was going to happen. And I said to my chief operating officer, um, you are now our interim CEO. And um, I'm going to be here. I'll still be working, you know, because my 40 hours, my full-time job right. is a lot of hours. But my primary job is to get healthy. And so for the next six months, I spent 40 hours a week, 40 hours a week doing therapy, counseling, reading, journaling, going to men's accountability groups, Anything I could do to become a better version of me. I got a PhD in Larry. Mm. The next six months, I spent 20 hours a week doing that. And out of that came this uh, book called Flashpoints, um, Flashpoints for Achievers. And I started a morning routine, and I just really got much more intentional about um, being a man of integrity, of um, being the leader that I wanted to be. Um, and being courageous again. And so it was, a, it was a long journey, and as sick as it sounds, listen, my kids have commented to me now at 17 and 15 that, you know, you, you're happy. I love that you're happy now. Yeah, they you see know, it. They, they remember that yeah. stuff.
sure. And um, and thank goodness, you know, my former spouse is happy and remarried, and her life is great. And and so um, I have feel you forgiven blessed. her since yeah. in your heart? Yeah. 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 Um, listen, we were both broken when we got together. Sure. We both recognized that. And, um, and I wish her the best and I wish her family, you know, the, the best, really, I do. Um, and um, listen, forgiveness, I heard it described this way. Um, unforgiveness is like drinking a poison and expecting it's going to hurt somebody else. Oh. Right? And that's pretty powerful, I think, because that's what I was doing. I was kept drinking this poison of unforgiveness, you know, and it was hurting me. And the other people that you haven't forgiven, they they it's go not, on with their life. Yeah, it's not punishing them. It's not punishing them one bit. It's not punishing them. So you got, you got to let it go. Why did you write Victory? Because I saw a lot of snake oil people out there just selling all kinds of crap on entrepreneurship. And um, I felt like there were a lot of people that were writing books on entrepreneurship um, who, frankly, weren't even entrepreneurs. There are a lot of people writing books on entrepreneurship who built coaching programs. Yeah. Um, but have never... Beyond the coaching program, we're never, they never ran their own business. It's one of the things, again, I, I think I resonate with you on, is that you're mentoring and you're coaching people while you're doing it, right? Yeah. Because if, if I weren't running my own companies right now, I'd be teaching lessons I learned 20 years ago. Right. And they're not relevant today. Right. The economy's constantly changing. That's Marketing strategy is Faster than ever, changing. by the way. Oh, my gosh. It's exponential, yeah. right? And so, um, listen, nothing against the SBA. I have some friends who are high up in the SBA. But even their SCORE program where they're teaching entrepreneurs. These are retired executives. That's the RE in SCORE, right? Retired executives. These aren't retired entrepreneurs. They're retired employees yeah. uh, who work for somebody else. Yeah. And so I think we've got it backwards. And so it's kind of a straight talk, no BS, pull up your frickin' pants, you know, pick up the sword, pick up the shield, and let's go. Let's do this. And you know what I'm happy about is that there's going to be an audiobook version of this. Yes, soon. there will be an audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, my brother. <laughs> We're making it official on this, man. We are, yeah. We are, yeah. Let's commit that in three months I'll yeah. have the audio. Good man. I'm a honey badger. So once yes. I tell someone I'm going to follow up with you, uh, yeah. I once told the, this guy who's a, who's a billionaire, he owns, uh, I can't say what he owns. But anyway. Um, I was like, hey, you got you got to lose at least hundred pounds. Like you're, you're. In fact, Troy McLean was there. It was in Idaho. It was a Russell Brunson. Oh, I had thing. somebody tell me that once. You told me that story, and of course, and he thought once this event ends, I'm going to forget. I said, give me your number, because we met at the mixer. I just honey badgered him for an Good. entire year Good. until he started making an effort, and that, that's what it takes. But ha having said that, you, in the last two years, yeah. had a tremendous physical transformation. Yeah. Um, it took embarrassment, <laughs> to be honest with you. I was, you know, to be in any kind of special operations group, you got to be in shape. Yeah. And so I was in great shape when I got out of the military. I was much younger then, too, you know, and your metabolism changes, you know. Sure. And so back then in my, you know, 20s and 30s, you know, my walking around weight was in the 245, 250 range with a pretty low body fat in the 9 or 10 percent range. Not ripped, but cut. Yeah. And for a variety of reasons, things changed. I stopped working out, which I don't, we don't have time to get into. Um, and I just stopped taking care of myself. I wasn't feeling great about myself. I mean, you can put all the stuff together that we've talked about, sure, right? Of course. Um, and uh, was living a pretty crappy lifestyle, abusing my body. Yeah. Right. And um, I take my at the time I was taking my mastermind members on cruises. We do a couple a year, 
and about two years ago, um, you know, people take pictures when you're at these events, yeah. and I saw a picture of me sitting up in front of the audience, and I was being interviewed by somebody trying to get my story out of me, and I saw this big old gut, and I was really big through here, and I said, I don't even recognize that guy. Mm. And at the same time, I was uh, up for a TV host position for an entrepreneurial show, and a mentor of mine, you know, after we, um, or I realized I wasn't going to get the gig, um, it was supposed to be capitalizing on vets who are going into the entrepreneur space. And part of my backstory would have been, here's a Green Beret sure. in the space. And he said, dude, you're going up for a role that's supposed to be capitalized on you as a Green Beret. You got to look like a Green Beret. You mm. don't look like a Green Beret. And, um, and that hurt, but I thanked him for it, you know. And thank goodness I had somebody who would speak reality into my life. You know, reality is your friend. And too often we have friends around us who will just tell us what they think we want to hear instead of telling us the truth. And I will tell you this, I will take the ugly truth over, you know, beautiful eyes any day of the week. Sure right? enough. And so between that and uh, the picture, I said, this, I've got to get back in, in shape. And so it's been a journey. I've probably dropped 45 pounds. And what did you change to do that? I mean, you, Just you, about you said you're 57 years old. 57. It's, I know at 44, my metabolism is not the same. My body oh. doesn't respond the same at 34. No. No. So Simple things, simple things. Yeah. And I've tried a bunch of different things. But what's really worked is um, I park as far away from where I'm going as possible. I get steps in. I just get movement. I've got a, a, a friend who's just said, listen, at, at your age, you know, to get back in shape, just get movement. Just get moving, you know? And so, like, today, even though my office is on the third floor of an office building, it's a 12-story building, I walk to the top of the stairs and then come back down to my office. Simple things like that. I cut out processed sugars and simple carbs. Just got them out of my, my diet. I have a pretty high protein diet. I wouldn't say I'm on a carnivore diet, but I do eat a lot of protein. Yeah. Um, and I'm never tired. I sleep less. I'm never hungry. Um, oh, by the way, but What I about do, your mental clarity since you cut the sugars? Oh my gosh. I, when I wake up in the morning, boom, I'm up. Yeah. Like I've got a fight to stay in bed after five o'clock in the morning. My mental clarity is there, it's a poison. Processed sugar is a poison, I think. Yeah, it is. And uh, As addictive as cocaine, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I do that. I do a bunch of supplements in the morning. Um, I do super greens, and I do a super reds. And so I'm getting the right vitamins and minerals in my body. So that, listen, just from my protein shake in the morning and my super greens and super reds, I could survive on that yeah. nutritionally. Sure. I'm not going to be happy about, right. about it. Yeah. Um, but I splurge once in a while. I mean, I don't go overboard. I don't binge. But, you know, if like once a week I want to have a dessert, I'll have a dessert if, you know. Um, but that's what works for me. What I would just encourage people, particularly if you, when you get up there in age like I am, um, don't punish yourself. Just make some modest changes. For me, the way I work, though, I've got to see rapid change. And so when I first did this, yeah. I fasted. Oh, I, really? I did, because I needed to see a change sure. fast. Yeah. Well, you're type A driven. Um, exactly. Yeah. All right. But then um, I neutralized it, and I've been pretty steady at this weight for a long time. So um, what does your workout routine look like? Uh, right now, I usually just do uh, body weight stuff. You know, I do some curls. I do some tricep stuff, but push-ups, planks, um, butterfly kicks, just movement. 
Right. Um, so, folks, pay attention to this because uh, here's a man who's super busy, and you're going to come out and tell me that you're busy, you don't have time to go to the gym. I'm guessing you're not going to the gym to do bodyweight stuff. You probably do right whatever hotel you happen to be in when you're traveling or at home yeah. or in your exactly. office, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and my thing was I, I've tried using that excuse with people, um, like I'm too busy. But I think just as important as my morning routine. So now my physical routine is like part of my morning routine. Like, And I do all of this in under 12 minutes. Seven minutes of it is, um, so I get up in the morning, go to the bathroom, don't check email, don't get on social media, don't even look at a computer. Um, but I do positive affirmations, readings, some journaling, and that takes about seven minutes. Um, and then I do some physical stuff. Um, I might do um, burpees, which I hate, but I love. I fucking hate um, burpees. <laughs> yeah, but it gets my heart rate up really quickly. Yeah. Right. You want to uh, hear a fun story? Yes. Um, so, so I got these these weird little. Well, anyone who's type A obsessed, driven, will will appreciate this. You'll appreciate this. I, I hate burpees, and I'm a personal trainer, obviously yeah. by trait, and I was a fat kid, which is why I became a personal trainer. I hate burpees so much that I said I'm going to stay in shape without burpees the rest of my life. But so that I never have to do burpees, I'm going to do 100 burpees straight, the the real way, like push up, jump yes. up in the air, yes. like get airborne. So, and, and I did it in like some record-breaking time for me. Yeah. Uh, this was like two years ago, and I gave myself the hall pass to. I did 100 burpees straight. There was a puddle of sweat on the floor. I said I never have to do burpees again. Yeah. And ironically, I haven't done it. So when I go to a, like a group workout program or something, they're doing burpees. I'll just stand around and I'll do some jumping yeah. jacks or whatever. Right, right. But the point is, whether you're doing burpees, etc., just move your freaking exactly. body. Clean up your diet. Remove the sugar. Have a morning routine. Listen, even if I just do, here's what I've realized. For me, and this has to do with everything in life, it's not the intensity that brings success. It's the consistency yeah. that brings success. And that's whether it's business, health, relationships, if I just come home and I haven't, you know, touched my wife for months, um, then all of a sudden I want to come and make love with her. That's not going to fix the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the small little things, yeah. right? And the same thing in business and the same thing when it comes to your health. It's the small things done consistently. So even when I hate it and I don't want to do it, I might do 10 jumping jacks and five push-ups, and at least I did something. Yeah. Did something. So consistency not... I mean, yeah, consistency, not intensity. Amen. So, Larry, as you as you mentor people and obviously um, and, and grow your organization and teach people in your masterminds yeah. through the trials and tribulations and challenges that you go through in your business and the big breakthroughs that you've had, if people want to learn more from you, be able to get exposed to your knowledge, content, wisdom, where do they reach out to you at? Listen, so on all the social media platforms, it's Larry Broughton. Um, Instagram is kind of where I hang out yeah. the most. Um, are, you, are you liking Instagram? I hate them all. Yeah. <laughs> Love-hate yeah. relationship, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I like Instagram better than all the others, yeah. you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do like Instagram better than Facebook and Twitter and, and all that kind of stuff. People seem to be kinder and more receptive there for me yeah. in the messages that I put out there. Um, so that's my favorite uh, of all of them. Um, but um, my personal website is LarryBroughton.me. That's .me, M-E. Um, and I've got stuff on the links to the hotel company and to my books and to my speaking stuff and to my mastermind programs. But if somebody's looking for a coaching program, um, 
Yeah, just, just go there. That's the best thing. LarryBroughton.me or just on all the social media. That's awesome. Platforms. Well, listen, man, thank you for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your experiences, and being so open and honest, yeah. transparent about it. Folks, if you're watching this episode, you got a lot of value out of it, or you're listening to this episode on any of your favorite podcast platforms, please do me a favor. Leave us a five-star review. Give us the comments. Be sure to take a screenshot, share it on social media, and above all, go dominate your day. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for being here for today's Empire Podcast Show. We would love for you to do a quick little favor for us. Just go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, share it with your friends, and if you're interested in growing your business faster, go to bedroskoolian.com forward slash empire, fill out the application to see if you're a good fit for our Empire Mastermind Group.